Now then, at 7.41, interesting developments, honestly interesting, uh, even for someone who's been following the repetitive saga of South Korea-Japan tensions for years now. Uh, We've seen Chief Cabinet Secretary Yoshihide Suga's claim that ties are in a severe state. Um, We also have seen headlines like Forget North Korea is the next showdown in Asia, Japan versus South Korea. I mean, I don't believe that for a second, but let's bring in an expert on the subject, Professor Stephen Nagi from the Department of Politics and International Studies at International Christian University in Tokyo. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's great to be here. And, I mean, just to briefly address that big claim for a moment, we're not actually nearing or even remotely close to a military conflict, are we? Absolutely not. Um, On the Japanese side, there's no interest in conflict with South Korea or North Korea um, from the level of of the government, military, as well as ordinary citizens. Um, They see South Korea as uh, an important neighbor, a neighbor that they have a troubled past and uh, and a past that they can't get get past. But in terms of conflict, um, there is no appetite for conflict in Tokyo. And, um, and I think they, they frankly see South Korea um, as, you know, as, a, as another liberal democratic society that would not engage in, in war with, with the Japanese themselves. Right. And, and that's certainly my sense. And it's just interesting that we're seeing the rhetoric start to ramp up at this moment in time. Uh, it comes, though, not only after Japan's refusal to comply with a South Korean Supreme Court ruling on wartime forced labor, uh, referring to those historical issues, but also the controversy over Tokyo's claim that a South Korean destroyer used a tracking radar against a low-flying Japanese patrol airplane last month. I mean, what do you make of that footage for a start, that December incident? Well, I had a look at at both footages um, put out by the Japanese and and the South Korean government. And I think what's very interesting about the interpretation on the South Korean side is that it's really um, painted a picture that Japan has engaged in some kind of threatening act. And um, what's important to understand on the Japanese side is that um, the self-defense forces, um, whether it's the ground or the naval forces, they must uh, engage in all of their um, self-defense actions through the interpretation of Article 9. That means that they cannot um, engage in any kind of um, you know, air, uh, uh, air activities or naval activities um, that um, could be interpreted as threatening, could be interpreted as the use of force. So they're highly trained to, again, first think about whatever actions they do through this important Article 9, which, which basically states that Japan has given up the right to use force uh, as, as a means of foreign policy. So um, I found the interpretation on the South Korean side to be um, somewhat troubling because it's painted a picture that um, I don't think is represents the training of the uh, self-defense forces in the Japanese context, nor their 70-year track record of engaging in naval activities and other activities within the region. Right. I mean, it's it's not out of the blue uh, for South Korea and Japan to be conducting naval exercises together alongside the the, the U.S. So it's all rather bizarre. Uh, it, it does... The timing does coincide, though, doesn't it, with uh, the ramping up of diplomatic tensions over that Supreme Court ruling? Do do you see that as being very much a connecting factor or or just a coincidence? I think that's rather a coincidence. Um, um, The details behind this this radar uh, lock on on a Japanese ship is, I think, that we're going to find out um, 
uh, further over you know the coming weeks and months once they um, put put together a joint committee to investigate these issues. But I think um, rather than uh, these being coordinated, what we're seeing is um, kind of an unfortunate uh, coincidence of of incidents. Um, I think that we should put it into broader context that um, the 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 um, increased anti-Japanese rhetoric that's coming out of South Korea, I think, is, is in part related to um, what's happening in terms of the peninsula, uh, in terms of rapprochement between the north and the south, and in, in, in terms of declining um, economic growth in the South Korean context. I think that um, it's an old, it's an old uh, and useful um, tool to really you know, ramp up the anti-Japanese rhetoric and engage in these kinds of activities when there's domestic political troubles, and, and I think that it plays well um, for um, President Moon Jae-in at this particular time to um, have these kinds of activities, which, you know, really bring and rally um, South Korean people behind um, the um, President Moon and the South Korean flag. Right. I mean, he's certainly facing pressure on a, on a number of fronts. Um, That's right. But, but it, I mean, in, in defense of President Moon, right from the start, he's, he's tried to back away from that so-called comfort women deal of, of 2015. And, you know, this is a legal process that's been going on for a long time that's come to a head under his administration. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but I, I think that, um, you know, I, it, it, it's, you know, the, the comfort women issue is an important issue. Um, it's a tragedy what's happened to those women. Um, I hope that they can find some kind of um, uh, peace However, that we need to understand that, that when an agreement has been made, whether it's the 1965 um, normalization agreement between the two uh, countries or uh, the 1992 and 1994 Kono Statement and Muranama Statements, which recognize the plight and, and the tragedy that happened to these women, and the setting up of different kinds of funds to provide some, fu- some um, you know, compensation for these, for these, these, these victims, um, you know, when is when when is it enough? When is an apology enough? When is 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 uh, you know co- financial compensation enough? On the Japanese side, you just can't keep uh, negotiating and, and pushing the, the the boundaries of of some kind of of of, of compensation over and over. So you know, a, a deal should be a deal, and it can't be continually uh, renegotiated when a new government comes in. Otherwise, there's no uh, legitimacy in terms of international agreements or international law. Now. It- Coming back again to the timing of of this most recent spat, yeah. sparked by that military incident last month, you, you suggested it was just coincidental. Was Japan's response at least guided, perhaps, by annoyance over that Supreme Court ruling? In the sense that we often hear stories of, for example, South Korean. Um, aircraft being scrambled to respond to encroaching Chinese aircraft or Russian aircraft. And there, there are often these incidents that go on without uh, too much news beyond the, the fact of it happening. But what we saw this time was uh, J- Japan actually releasing that footage, claiming um, this fire control radar was locked onto by a South Korean naval vessel onto one of its own aircraft. That took things a step further. You know, can we not read into that, the fact that Japan has been escalating this politically? Well, I think it's important for us to understand that um, the government is trying to, in the Japanese context, is trying to 
um, convey not only to the um, international community, um, in particular in East Asia, but also to its domestic population that when it engages in these kinds of military activities or naval activities, that it takes uh, a very um, rational, very calculated, very um, controlled approach to engaging in um, uh, interactions with other um, militaries. And I think that's very, very important. It's trying to create a narrative that, um, you know, the, the Japan military of the past, the, 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 the one that invaded East Asia, the one that annexed South Korea, uh, or the Korean Peninsula, the one that invaded China, um, is no longer in existence. The, the, the self-defense forces as they exist, exist now and how they may exist in the future are one that will function by rules, that will engage in um, dealing with disputes in very rational manners, that will use um, dialogue and discussion um, before and prioritize dialogue and discussion um, before you, the use of force. And I think that's an important message for the domestic audience as uh, the government tries to change the Constitution. And I think it's an important uh, message for um, neighbors within the region that um, the military of the past is the military of the past and the military of of today is one that functions by rules. One of the key messages in several of the newspaper editorials we've seen here in South Korea has been calling actually on both governments to deal with these conflicts without emotion. Now, I I, I was saying earlier this week, I, I don't know whether it's possible to take emotion out of the picture entirely, given how entwined so many of these people are. Uh, But but is that ultimately what needs to happen, in your view? I think it's very, very, um, it's a challenge. Um, you know, from the, from the Japanese, um, the war is, is long past. It's been 70 years. Um, you know, they've functioned as a liberal democratic society that's tried to promote human rights and developments. And, you know, they've paid compensation. This is from the Japanese point of view. Um, you know, from their point of view, these kinds of inter- interactions with some of their neighbors are very challenging because, you know, they're, they, they, they're saying, well, our behavior over the past 70 years has been exemplary. Why can't we put this to the past? And then on the, you know, on the South Korean side, and I think our Chinese friends as well, you know, they see so many mis- mixed messages, you know, um, high-level politicians visiting controversial shrines like the Yaskuni Shrine. They see, um, you know, right-wing groups denying the comfort women issue. Um, you know, it, it's hard to... to not be emotional when you when you hear these kinds of things because you know it brings back you know the hor- the the horrible history of Japan's colonial period within the region and, and I think these two contrasting views and these contrasting positions make it really difficult to you know have a, a discussion that it's not filled with with emotion and not filled with um, you know frustration in particular on the South Korean side. As we assess the direction of tensions now, there is this impression of Japan gearing up for more serious militarization. The Abe administration's move to revise its pacifist constitution, looking to spend at least 27 trillion yen, that's $240 billion between April of this year and March 2024. Should we be watching that closely, do you think? What's your view of uh, the militarization of Japan? So I don't think Japan's militarizing, uh, but I do think that um, Japan is trying to um, normalize its self-defense forces. And what that means is that it can function um, 
in a more transparent and legally uh, binding process. At the moment now, the self-defense forces are called self-defense forces, not a military. And um, they're dispatching into different um, zones of, of combat, even though they're in a, a position of, of, of to, to a supportive position, not in direct combat. It's really related to how the prime minister interprets Article 9 of the Constitution. And this is very arbitrary. And I think one of the... Um, one of the reinterpretations of the Constitution that the current government's interested in doing is to clearly label the Japanese um, self-defense forces as a military so they can more clearly, um, you know, make the, the, the uh, or they, they can more clearly um, understand when and when, when they can't um, dispatch um, their military. Um, on the budget issue, I think this is really interesting. Um, we do see an increase in budget, but this is partly related to... Um, the quantitative, uh, or the the um, devaluation of the yen that's occurred over the Abe administration, which means that they actually they, they have to increase the budget to to get the same bang for the buck, right? Um, and that's one of the reasons why we see an increase in the budget. But the second is, of course, a pressure from the United States to um, increase the the burden of, of the Japanese. Um, to support the U.S.-Japanese alliance. And our South Korean friends understand this as well. There's enormous pressure from Washington under the Trump administration to increase the military budget, increase the South Korean burden in the alliance. And uh, I think these are the two uh, primary drivers. Um, the last driver for the increase of budget, of course, is, is our, our, in North Korea. And lastly, uh, China. And, and all of these um, factors are contributing to the increase in, in, in military budget. Um, but I don't think it's um, a military budget associated with, with conflict or um, offensive capability, but defensive capability and cooperation with the United States, but also regional partners, including South Korea. Just finally and briefly, does Japan, though, have a PR problem? The fact that it's being dressed up as militarization, but also drawing a fair few... Uh, negative views that otherwise wouldn't be placed on Japan by uh, withdrawing from the International Whaling Commission, for example. Okay, so I think um, I'll be as brief as possible. In Southeast Asia, Japan has an exceptional reputation for, in terms of contributing um, to to development, but also in terms of its self-defense forces cooperating in terms of disaster and risk management and other activities within the region. Um, it has a challenged relationship with China and South Korea, and this is related to its past, but I also think it's related to domestic politics within both countries. Now, the withdrawal from the, um, the, 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 the um, whaling treaty, I think this is somewhat unrelated, um, and I think it's, it's partly related to domestic politics in the Japanese context, but a, a general sense that um, Japan can achieve its, its objectives um, with regards to whaling, um, without being part of the treaty, and, 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 and I think that it's an unconnected um, issue. Professor you, Nagi, I agreed, completely unrelated, but uh, the critics, especially when viewed through uh, the internet, seem to circle together. That's yeah. um, our half hour for now. We're going to continue after BBC World News. <laughs> 